Amen. Thank you. That, that hymn is kind of like my go-to hymn whenever uh, the world is falling around my ears and falling down around me, then the chorus of that particularly always seems to come to mind for me, and I'm just like, okay, that's what it is, and that's what it's going to be. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick with that. So I really, I really love that hymn. And normally when a Baptist sings all verses of a hymn, they automatically turn into a Presbyterian, (laughs) but that is the only hymn that, that you can sing all of them and and not. So, um, uh, handouts. So it's been a couple of weeks. So if you don't have what we tried to get started on last time, we do have handouts right there back there at the door, and um, let's have a quick word of prayer, and then, uh, then we'll start looking at this part of Psalm 119. Father, I thank you again that we can have a night when, uh, Lord, the kids can get into your words and begin learning principles and memorizing scripture and things that can be drawn back to their memory in the future, and Lord, likewise, we can get into your word and just... just just the simple words of God as they come to us in our Bible, um, your Holy Spirit's takes, there's a power there. Um, it, it brings comfort and assurance because now we know what to rely on. We know where to rest ourselves. We know what to trust in. And so, Father, we ask that you would guide us tonight as we look into your word together, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I forgot to ask last time for a volunteer who might summarize tonight what we ended up with last time, and I'm thinking particularly of um, as we got started on this particular section, and so, so one of the things, if you uh, wanted to pick it up, was actually verses 17 to 24 printed out, and since I forgot to do that, let me just ask, uh, because one of the things that we did, so if we're going to try and discover what is in the Bible itself, then we, you know, it starts with kind of just a simple understanding of what the English words are and going through. So one of the things that we've been asking in a, of a passage is, okay, what are the verbs in this passage? So who would like to stand up in and in their best playground outside voice Look there through verses 17 to 24 and point out for us what are the verbs in those eight verses. Anyone like to give us that much of the summary? Okay, I can do it for you, but then I have to charge overtime. The verbs, yes, what are the verbs? Okay, 17, deal bountifully. Uh, yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, so, something else for him. Yeah, open my eyes, behold wondrous sayings. 19, hide not, 20. Okay, so my soul breaketh for the longing. 21. Okay, 22. 23. Sit, speak, and meditate. Verse 24. 
are delightful, are my delight. So we got the, we got the verbs which tell us what's happening in the passage and what will be happening in our life. So it's telling us, it's showing us, and a lot of times, you know, if I'm um, using the book of Psalms as a counseling resource, I'll tell people, you know what, take the book of Psalms and read until you find yourself and then keep reading because then it will tell you where you need to be going. So the verbs show you where it's showing, you know, somewhere in here, there is some verb that applies to what's happening to you and then other verbs that are going to tell you what you should be doing and where you should be going with what is happening. How about, how about any warnings in the passage? And I know it's been, you know, two weeks, and I know a lot has happened in between. But does anybody want to give a stab at things they might say, you know, that here's a, here is something that warns me warns me against something or warns me, you know, away from something or warns me about something I should do. Any, anybody like to take a stab at that? Here's, here's a couple, three I came up with. You know, in verse 17, David asks that God would do certain things. He says, that I may live. Ah, so the warning is kind of like, you may die if you don't do this. Okay, so, so in somewhere, in some level, in some way, spiritually or otherwise, uh, there is warning there. If you want to live, you've got to do that. Verse 21, I mean, something if you don't do, you are in error. You, you will have erred. You will have gone the wrong way, the wrong direction, the wrong path, end up in the wrong spot. Verse 22, you know, he, he, he makes a request, remove from me reproach and contempt, well, that's kind of a, a warning, kind of, you know, I want, I want to stay away from these type of things. Um, then this one will be easier, so somebody can stand up and, and do this maybe in their uh, playground voice. Uh, what are all the different words for the Bible in this passage? And point those out. Um, so verse 17 is word, uh, 18 is law, 19 commandments, 20 judgments, 21 commandments, 22 testimonies, 23 statutes, and 24 testimonies. Okay, you get an A. And, uh, but now let me add this one in. We didn't actually discuss last time maybe. Uh, and let me, so let me, uh, let me, let me, you know, one thing that uh, is helpful is if you think through the Bible in a uh, doctrinal or prophetic way. So let me, let me take this passage, let me have, it, have us maybe look at it to discover what's in it from this aspect. So <clears throat> every passage of scripture is going to have three simultaneous applications. What are those three applications? that exist all at once. Okay, so we've got a past application historically. It happened in time, so it means something in terms of that historical context. Uh, the present, 
Well, it's a guy that's going to say a word to you, inspirationally, devotionally, however you want to call it. It's going to say a word to us today. Now, now there's a sense in which all of it, all of that is doctrinal. But usually, a lot of times when we say, okay, the future application. So that actually, every verse in the Bible is also saying something for the future that hasn't even happened yet. So we, we kind of call it prophetic or doctrinal. So think about this segment with me for a second. The past application had to do with David and things that may have been going on in his life. So this is David's relationship with God. And David, David was a man after God's own heart. And so that's why I would say, and I think that if you were to take even just these eight verses, some, somebody look at these eight verses. Tell me what are the requests that David makes. So verse 17, uh, deal bountifully with thy servant. Yep. Verse 18, open thou my eyes. Yep. Uh, verse 19, hide not thy commandments. Yep. Verse 20, uh, 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 no, not there. <laughs> verse 22, remove from me reproach. Yep. And that's pretty, that's pretty much it. But now, out of, so out of eight verses, four of them have requests. And if you go through the 119th Psalm as a whole, 176 verses, um, you, you're going you're to find just about that same ratio actually have requests. So uh, you're going to find over 70 requests. If you take, and, and now just, so you're a chemist, you're a Bible chemist, and what you're doing as a Bible chemist is you are isolating one particular substance out of this compound. So you've got, so you've got, you've got, um, you've got a liquid, and it's got certain elements in solution. And you don't need everything that's in that solution, but you need this one thing that is in that solution. And so you're going to either boil it, or you're going to do, you know, um, uh, electrocute it, or do something to it that makes the element that you need isolate itself out of that solution. You're going to put it in a centrifuge. You're going to do whatever. And, and you're going to come away with just that one thing you're looking for. Okay, so you can do that with these eight verses. You come away with four requests. That solution that you've isolated is the solution. It, it, it is a pun intended. It is, that is your solution. So you know what? You can take what David was asking for himself, but because he was a man after God's own heart, if you were to take the whole psalm and you were to boil it down to those particular items of request and pray the same things, you'd have the heart of God. So we've got a past historical application from David, we got a present inspirational application. Now let me uh, let me uh, let me let me let me take you to verse twenty-three as a, as kind of an example. 
So verse 23, princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate on thy statutes. Now, obviously that was true of David because he's writing it. So David's writing about how, even as king in Israel, perhaps he's talking from that point in his life, but even as kings in Israel, he didn't have everybody on his side and he had plenty of kingdoms around him that he's conquering or he's in war with or they're against him and they're speaking maybe he had even people on his own side certainly he had some in his family Absalom was a prince because he was his David's son but he spoke against him and uh, so okay verse 23 princes did sit and speak against me so what was my response to that well I you know I gave back as 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 good as I got well that wasn't That wasn't David's response. David's response, here's my response. I I meditated in your statutes. And and that solved it. If I was meditating in your statutes, I mean, that just puts this other person, everything they're doing to the side. So obviously, so that is a past historical application. David, that's present inspirational application to us because you are constantly being goaded by the world, the flesh, and the devil to take certain responses and do certain things. So as soon as you react through the goading of the world, the flesh, and the devil, instead of responding based on a meditated response, a meditated solution from the Word of God, you know, if you, if you don't take the time, you sit down and say, I'm going to put God first and the word of God first. I'm going to let the Bible define the situation for me. And then I'm going to follow through in what it says I should do. If you don't do that, well, you're lost. I mean, you've already lost the battle because the world, the flesh, and the devil are goading you to a certain reaction that they want us to take. And, you know, I say world, the flesh, and the devil, but... But, you know, what does that mean in, a pract- in practical terms? Well, okay, just list for me any m- major media outlet and all the ones who say they are not mainstream are mainstream, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to them. Okay, so what's the world of flesh and the devil? It's what we get from all of that input. Okay, it's, it's, it, you know, it is contemporary music. Uh, and when I say contemporary music, I also mean all of, all of, all of the, uh, you know, all of the hippie stuff that you listen to f- starting in the 50s. That's contemporary enough. Okay, all, all the way, all the way back then. As a matter of fact, you can even go back to some of the, swing bands and other stuff like that and you know it's filling your head with it's goading you to certain reactions and certain things that the world and the flesh and the devil wants you to do in life so whether it's news and news outlets whether it's sports and sports heroes whether it's you know we have influencers on every level today influencers that come at us whether it's through their accounts, through Instagram, through TikTok, through whatever. 
And all of those things try and goad us into certain reactions when we really kind of need to be. You want an inspirational, doctrinal for you, inspirational uh, you know, application of this? Okay, start using the Word of God to goad you. Start using the Bible to be your influencer. Let the, let the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost be your peer group. And, and let them tell you what to do. Now, if I were thinking about the, a future aspect, and I'm looking specifically at these eight verses, what, what is it going to be? What, what are my options? If I think about, okay, well, what is future to right now? What's future to the church age? What is past the church age? What is future? What are my options there? Okay, yes, I mean, one option's the millennium, but it doesn't sound like David's talking a lot about that. <laughs> he's, not, he's not talking about things. I mean, millennium's going to be kind of nice. He ain't talking about that. He's talking about princes who did sit and speak against him. Well, that's okay, that's probably not millennial context. Uh, that's probably tribulation context. When I do that, then it helps put some things together for you um, um, uh, so that, so that um, uh, even, even things that look like they're being doctrinally said start making a little, a little more sense. Uh, verse 17, look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servant that... I may live and keep thy word. You know, that sounds a little bit like a work salvation situation, doesn't it? Well, okay, well, you know, that verse 17 in that doctrinal sense will kind of be true during the tribulation. Um, the, because what is the tribulation? That's where certain saints... Jewish saints, but other Gentiles who have thrown in with, with the Jews at that time, in order for them to live, God's going to have to deal bountifully with them because the only way for them to live is to not take the mark of the beast. And if they don't take the mark of the Antichrist, they're really going to have to have God deal bountifully with them. Otherwise, they're not going to live because... You can't buy, sell, or trade. Uh, uh, you know, if you, I mean, when you think about it like that, look at it, look at it this way. And this is, um, this is maybe the importance of um, isolating even those different names for the word of God itself. Because if I understand the historical context for these eight verses, and if I know I'm applying inspirationally in, in my own present context, these eight verses. But then I start looking at the future, everything falls together in such perfect sense because obviously I got to have a focus for 17 on God's word. But if I'm going to survive the tribulation, Matthew 24.10, 24.13, what is it? Jesus says, you've got to endure to the end to be saved. 
Now, we don't have to do that in this dispensation. We're saved by grace through faith. But, but even though all the Bible's for us, not all of it's to us, and he ain't talking to us. But for the people who he's talking to, well, then what he's saying is you got to endure to the end to be saved. Either the end of your life without taking the mark of the beast or the end of the tribulation without taking the mark of the beast. Otherwise, you take the mark of the beast, beast all, all bets are off. <laughs> You're, you go with him in that case. So you've got to endure to the end. So, okay, how am I going to do that? You know what? Verse 18, I kind of need God to give me a law. I need uh, that, you know, so it's not, it's not just the word of God. The word of God's got to become a law to me. I mean, it's just got to be a law. I just, there are just certain things I'm not going to be able to do and certain things I'm going to have to do. And a lot of those things even are lined out in a doctrinal sense with what are called in your New Testament, the general epistles, what I would call the Hebrew Christian epistles, starting with the book of Hebrews and going on to the book of Revelation. And that is why there's some things in there that make it look like, wow, is that, you know, is that really true in the age of grace? Is that really true for us? Well, doctrine, you know, you make an inspirational application. Doctrinally, not, not so much. Book of James isn't written to you. It's written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Hebrews, hello, somebody. So, uh, okay, so, all right, I'm going to need a law. You know what else? Verse 19. There are going to be certain things that I got to keep as a commandment if I'm going to make it through that time. I got to know, God's got to show me what the rules are to get by on a day-by-day basis. Basis. Verse 20, I need God to give me discernment because I got to make a judgment here. Do I go to the right hand or I go to the left? Do I do this now or do I wait? I'm flying under the radar. I'm trying to endure to the end without taking the mark of the beast and yet I still got to eat. I still got to have clothing. I say, who do I trust here? I mean, I need God's judgments. I need his commandments because, I, you know, I just can't take that mark. I, I got to stay away from things. I need, uh, verse 22, I need testimonies, which means kind of someone's experience related to the situation. So they followed the word of God and they came back and told me this. And okay, if they can do it, I can do it. And I need, I need God's word to be a testimony to me like that. And verse 23, I need statutes. I need, I need, I need, uh, you know, so um, uh, municipalities have statutes um, uh, that, uh, that don't apply every place, but they apply within the city limits. That's what a, okay, so statute. So the city has certain rules that don't apply outside of the city. Uh, you know, so I don't know, Kansas City does a certain mandate for a certain thing, and okay, that's in Kansas City. And uh, so I've got to know what the stat, you know, I've got to know how the rules have changed slightly based on where I just walked into if I'm going to make it getting through the tribulation. Okay, so, so one last thing, one last thing out of this, in terms of discovering everything that's here. What... 
does David call himself in these eight verses? Anybody want to stand up and take a stab in your playground outside voice? What? Okay, so verse 17, servant. Aha, uh-huh, verse 19, stranger. And again, there is that tribulation context. I mean, there's the tribute because a stranger is like, an alien is like, a foreigner is like, is like I can't take full citizenship because that would require a mark on my hand or my forehead. And so I don't have an ID. I don't, I mean, I am a stranger. Okay, so David calls himself that. And then, and then what else? So verse 23, servant again. And finally what? Well, okay, here, here, here's another way to look at that. What does he call the Word of God? I mean, not, I, don't, I don't mean the names for the Word of God. We went through those. But what, what does he call the Word of God? What does he say the Word of God is to him? Aha, verse 24, they're my counselors. So, I, so when I need counsel, I know where, where I need to go. And I've got, I've got a multitude, I've got I don't, you know, 66 books, 40-some authors. So I got at least 40 good counselors right there to give me counsel. So let's actually look into these verses, starting in verse 17. I've titled this section, Revelation from the Word. The thesis for this section is that truth benefits those whose eyes the Lord opens to his word. So truth does not benefit you until God op- until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to what the Word of God says. Now this is the third eight-verse section, right? And each set of eight verses begins with the same Hebrew letter. We also already saw Aleph, or A, and then we saw Beit, or B. So this third section, if you have a King James Bible, usually it'll have... The Hebrew letter at the first of each section and tell you what the name of that letter is. This is Gimel. Now, uh, because, because Hebrew is a pictograph like Chinese, not exactly a hieroglyph. It, 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 it's a little more sophisticated than that, but um, kind of like Chinese is. Then Gimel is a, represents a camel. So they got that letter from the camel. It's the letter C, basically, we would say. And this, this letter kind of has to do with our journey, has to do, uh, you know, if you think about it, if, if, I am, if I'm lifting out of the language everything that is there, and even lifting out of the letters everything that is there, then this letter has to do with a transformation of energy, because that's what a camel does. I mean, a camel stores water. So I forget how long a camel can go without drinking. Now, whenever he does get to a oasis he'll drink a whole lot but then he can go on that whole lot for a long time a camel okay so what why what is a camel back what is that the camel back is not actually water it's fat so a camel eats stores that energy as fat until it is needed and then an animal will transfer that stored water and that stored fat into plodding energy. It just plods along. I mean, a camel doesn't run along like a horse. It just, it 
Whatever weight you put on it, it takes, and it just one step at a time will take you wherever you want and need to go. So I think this section kind of has to do with our ambition, but also our impulses, and shows us how to stick by the Word of God in spite of the sneers of others. Now, we used to think, back in the day when I was growing up, and, you know, in Baptisthood, they would tell you that the people sneering at you are your uh, peers at school and maybe professors and, you know, all of your professors that are either agnostic or atheist or evolutionists and they are sneering at you. And okay, those, those people still sneer at us, but a lot of people sneer at us even from within Baptisthood these days. So not just evangelicaldom, but even within Baptisthood, people, because what David's talking, he's not talking about the people sneering at you because they're atheists and you're theists. He's not talking about the people sneering at you because they believe in evolution. You believe, you know, they believe evolution through natural selection, whatever that is, and you believe in creation. No, what he's talking about are people like you who are sneering at you because of what you believe about the Word of God. Uh, so, so this section kind of has to do with that. And David is praying as a servant and a pilgrim in a stranger's land. And his appeal is to God and his prayer is very direct. And he shows us how to keep it personal with God as we traverse our time on this planet. I will say this stanza contains two foundational principles for the Christian life. Who will come and go with me? For number one, taking opportunities in the word identifies us with God, verses 17 to 20. If we will take opportunities in the word of God, it will identify us with God. That's a foundational principle of Christian life. And I know we tend to, you know, we ask people, hey, are you saved? And some of them say, well, I was drowning once. And uh, others say, well, yeah, you know, I was... 12 years old, and they had a revival at my church, and I went forward, and some lady talked to me, and, you know, she handed me something, and I took it, and she said, okay, that's, you know, that's just like getting saved there, and you just pray this prayer, and, you know, and so, yeah, I kind of remember I did that way back then. Okay. So they, they, um, they, they take the name badge Christian, and they put it on their blouse, or they put it on their shirt, but then but that's the extent of it. They're never discipled. They never grow. They don't know their Bible, and they don't know the first thing about acting like a Christian. So I'm not sure they're Christian. They might have just got inoculated against catching the disease instead of catching it. So a foundational principle of Christian life is for you to take opportunities in the Word of God because that is what will identify you with God. And number two, worship is the antidote to opposition. Verses 21 to 24. Now, it doesn't mean it eliminates the opposition, and I didn't say it was the antidote to depression, uh, although it might be that. But if it's not that, well, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but depression never hurt me. Um, You know, nobody likes to be depressed, but on the other hand... Worship is the antidote to opposition, verses 21 to 24. So the word of God divides the whole world into opportunists or opposers. So everybody in our church is either an opportunist 
or an opposer, either a, either a opportunist or a poser, opposer, some people find the Bible to be a handbook on the human life, and other people despise it for how it cuts us down and because it's right all the time. So there are four essential vitamins for our soul in the Word of God. And I, so this is just an overview of these eight verses. Four essential vitamins for our soul. Number one, it bestows purpose to our life. That's verse 17. The Word of God is what, show, is what will show you the purpose to life. Say, so Alan, I found my purpose because uh, God gave me this idea and I went out and I, I marketed it and I monetized it and now I'm rich and that was my life purpose. Okay, but that's kind of fleeting. Uh, you know, those that, that, you know, riches like that's kind of fleeting thing. Even if you have so many that it will last you a while or it'll last you your whole life. Well, well that's, that's kind of fleeting. But okay, it, you know, it doesn't bestow an eternal purpose on your life. Uh, only the Word of God does. And number two, it brings problems to light, verse 18. So now you can see we've totally forsaken this. Because the only place we go to try and bring to the surface problems that may exist is to the psychotherapist. And so we'll trust the psychotherapist to do the best a lost person can do on a good day to try and get us back to root problems and bring to the surface things that we may not be acknowledging or somehow remain hidden or, or whatever. And, and in actuality, it is the Word of God that will bring problems to light. Number three, it banishes loneliness in your trials. That's verse 19. It will banish loneliness in your trials. So, you know, we just had one of our praise leaders, one of our praise team members that uh, passed last week. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> nobody could be with him at the particular hospital he was at. And, uh, you know, so they called and, you know, hey, how's he doing? And nurse said, well, you know, I just looked in his window and uh, he's, you know, he's got his iPhone and something plugged into his head and he's clapping. Well, that's because worship and uh, the word of God like that in praise and worship will banish loneliness when you're in a time of trial. Number four, it gives passion to right longings, verse 20. Now we have plenty of passion for things we ought not long for which is a shame. And mostly, um, getting rid of sins of the flesh is a replacement process where you put the fruit of the Spirit in for the sins of the flesh. And so the Word of God will give passion for the right longings, verse 20. So let's, that's the overview. Start with me in verse 17. Somebody stand up in, in your good outside playground voice. Uh, read verse 17 for me. Okay, that shows us how to make a connection between God's abundance and our abounding. That was not so apparent in the dispensation of the law. 
So that, I mean, that was kind of not clearly defined under Moses and under the law. But you will notice if you were to do some cross-referencing, there's a a phrase used called the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David were David's ability to anticipate justification by grace through faith in Christ's finished work. You don't see that from almost any other writer. And I, so like I mentioned this morning, if you're keeping up with us on the prayer diary and the Bible reading plan that we've got in there, and it's taken you through the book of Job, and you know, Job was right, his, his friends were wrong, but he justified himself because he was a legalist. He's living under law. He's not thinking grace. And it took Elihu to come in at the end of the book and inject some grace into the situation but David, David is, David's not like, you know, David had something that, that, that Job didn't have, and he had something Moses didn't have, and he had something, you know, Daniel didn't have, and something Joshua didn't have, and he had this ability to anticipate God acting by grace according to David's faith, and not his faith in nothing, but his faith in God's words, his faith in what God was saying. So he's kind of able to anticipate the Holy Spirit's dwelling, indwelling after Pentecost. I mean, the Holy Spirit came in and came on, but he'd go on and go off, and no one had the eternal security of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, before you know, before Christ dies and before he sends back the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. I mean, prior to that, nobody has. We now have, as Paul says, the, the Spirit of God seals us. He's the seal uh, and can't take it away from us. But they didn't have that back in the Old Testament. They won't have that in the future in the tribulation period. We have it right now. But David is like David lives in that. David anticipates that. And so law has a very different relationship to life under the New Testament than it does in the Old Testament. Now that, the part of that is because law had to come before life. It just, it just had to. It's just the way God had to do things. So Moses said, do this and live. Paul says, you will do this because you are living. Right? I mean, look at verse 17. David says, Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. You know, we might turn it around more accurately and say, You know what? If I live and as I live keep God's word, I will be dealt bountifully with. Maybe the reason I'm not abounding is because I'm not living in God's word and keeping it. Hello, somebody. I mean, it's not that, it's not a quid pro quo. It's not, it's not like, okay, you have to do this to get this. It's not quite like that. And yet it is, it is like this. The word of God will do the work. So if you do not have the word of God in your life, no work is being done. You are not abounding. And, and that is why. And, and so, uh, Somebody find Romans chapter 8. Somebody find Romans chapter 8 real quick. So in the Old Testament, law had to come first and then life. 
in the New Testament, life comes first and gives us the ability to keep the law. Somebody stand up and read Romans 8 verses 2, 3, and 4. 2, 3, and 4 out of Romans 8. Huh. So what God did through the Word of God in the New Testament was to use a law to supersede another law. So uh, the law of gravity applies to everybody, and yet birds fly. How, how come birds can fly if there is the law of gravity? Well, because there's a law of life inside the bird that supersedes the law of gravity. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which superseded that law of Moses, which identified my sin and condemned me to death. And then he, Paul goes on to tell how it was that that law of life could come down to us. So life has to come first, and that life can only come through a relationship with God and a relationship with his word. And you know, salvation is a crisis that results in a process. And if it does not result in a process after the crisis, then that is why you are stuck. That is why you are stuck. Because you get saved, you get born again, that's a crisis. But that crisis was designed to result in a process of progressive sanctification. And that can't be done by you, it can't be done by your willpower, but the Word of God will do the work. So when you put the faith in what God has said, then the grace of Christ is added to you, and progressively you get, you get more and more holy. Progressively. And so you get, you, get abund, you get abundified. You get abundantized over time. Why? Why does it work like that? Because the word of God is the seed and the seed carries the life within it. So life is inherent to God's word. That is not true of anybody else's word. It's not true of the newspaper. It's not true of the textbooks. It's not true of the, you know, whatever you read that whoever puts out there for whatever. It's not true of their word. As a matter of fact, it is so untrue of their word that I just read the other day that if Spotify does not pull Joe Rogan, Millie Vanilli is going to take somebody else's lyrics off. Okay, you didn't get that, but if you, if you, if you were into Millie Vanilli, you know, and they were a thing at a time, and then everybody discovered they're lip-syncing. <laughs> they're not even doing their own singing. Here we are buying their you know, records, going to their concerts, and it's totally lip-synced. They do not even sing their own stuff. Uh, okay. You know, it's, God's word is different from anybody else's word, and the way he proves that is that he puts his stamp on it. He puts his power with it. That's how he proves it. He may, you know, a lot of things you may think God has let you down, and God didn't do this or God didn't do that. He'll never let his word down. Why don't you just put yourself in, this, in, in line with his word, and then you won't be let down either. So, so first... We need God's word um, because we are God's servants. Second, it is only as God's word is kept 
that abundant Christian life can be experienced. Now turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. So from Romans 8 to Deuteronomy chapter 8. And whoever gets to Deuteronomy 8, that has a nice out, outside playground voice, stand up and read verse 3. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. Okay. So there it is. And there it is in Old Testament Bible typology. And here's, you know, here's the dealio. So somebody was just telling me yesterday, I taught, uh, you know, I taught manuscript evidence yesterday. Um, and uh, afterwards, somebody was telling me, well, you know, that, that one church that you, you used to go to, you know, the pastor there is kind of talking about some of these things. He said, you know, the first thing out of his mouth was, um, if you really want to understand the Bible, you have to keep in mind authorial intent, meaning the Bible never means what it never meant to the original author. Well, that is just as much reading a Greco-Roman reasoning into your Bible as Origen or any of the, quote, church fathers ever read Greek philosophy into their scriptures. Because Peter says, Isaiah didn't understand what he was talking about. Obviously, the Bible means certain things that it did not mean to the original authors. Because Peter says the prophets didn't understand what they were writing. And they, and even angels didn't understand. They, they were desiring to look in and find out what in the world does that mean? And then when Christ shows up, because he's the anti-type, then it's all figured out. So if the Bible never means what it never meant, then what's Bible typology? I mean, there's no Bible typology. You might, I mean, if the Bible never means what the Bible never meant to the original authors and the original hearers, well, then it's not the word of God. You just interpret it like you do any other book. But in actual fact, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, you know, God humbled you and God allowed you to hunger, but then he fed you with this stuff. You didn't know what it was. Nobody ever had it before because it is a type or a picture of the word of god manna it's a bible type of the word of god and once you got that i mean you know what number one you had to have some every day you couldn't live the next day on what you got the day before you had to get in the word of god and get the word of god in you every day except sunday we'll give you sunday off okay because you know preachers preaching on sunday so that's that's cool so, so we'll give you a Bible reading schedule and the prayer diary so for six days out of the week, Monday through Saturday. And, and okay, we'll let, it, we'll let it carry over one day, a Sabbath. And uh, don't worry about that. So, um, you know, that's grace. Uh, I'm going to let you rest. And you get, you get one day and seven off. But, you know, you got to get it every day. And you got to get it into you every day. And then what you find is it doesn't matter how much you got necessarily. If you wanted to eat a lot, you could, you could eat all you want without ever getting too fat. You know, and if you were a light eater, okay. But you know, what you discovered, if you did it consistently, 
then the way the Holy Spirit works is that it, you'll find every day there is something right there that you needed just for that day. And, and, he, and he says, you know, your fathers didn't know. That's why they named it manna, because manna means, what this? I mean, what is it? And, and, I, I'm, and I mean, we're the same way, right? Well, how, how can that work? How can it be, from a logical, reasonable standpoint, how can it be that if I just, let's say I just followed along in the prayer diary and I did that reading, that I would find so many days that what I read right there was what I needed later that day and it just, and it blew me away and it was the commandment that told me which way to go and it was the testimony that confirmed what was right or what was wrong and it was, and it was the law that I needed to follow and, and it, you know, it was the word of God. I uh, am continually amazed um, from Sunday to Sunday. How many times? I mean, almost every Sunday the praise team saying something that fits right in with what I'm preaching. And, and I mean, Brandon and I don't necessarily collaborate. We don't say, hey, you ought to pick that song. You do that thing. And, you know, and I try to think through um, topics or passages, titles, sermon titles and passages. But beyond that, I mean, there's no collaboration in it. And it's like, wow, that, you know, that song's right where we're at. I mean, it says exactly what we need to say. And, and that, okay, Deuteronomy 8.3, that's what the Word of God will do for you. And it doesn't matter, that's not what it meant. To, that's not what it meant to Moses. <laughs> but it's what Moses was saying because manna is a Bible type, is a type of the Word of God. These are the steps to the normal Christian life. That's why so many Christians today are abnormal. They're not willing to take these steps. Verse 17, deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Go forward to verse uh, 90. Keep your finger here. We're go to verses 90 and 91. Psalm 119, verses 90 and 91. Verse 90 says, thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. They continue this day according to thy divine or according to thine ordinances, for all are thy servants. I mean, everything in creation serves the Lord except humans. I mean, everything in creation serves the Lord. If we are his servants, then we've got to behave accordingly. Deal bountifully with thy servant. We are his servants. You know, we've got to serve the Lord. God always pays his servants extra bountifully. Now, that's something you can just count on. And I don't care how dark things get, I don't care how deep it goes, I don't care how long it lasts. Um, I don't care how difficult, I mean, like I alluded to this morning, that's why the book of Job is in your Bible. I mean, I know a lot of people who have gone through a lot of things, and particularly over the last couple of years, and I know, you know, it's been like, uh, you know, not one thing, but thing after thing, but not many of us have suffered what Job went through. And yet, 
If you're his servant, he pays you bountifully. And he did with Job. And there may be a trajectory that takes our bounty into eternity so that we don't even see it all in this life. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. So not only are we his servants, verse 17, but go to verse 18. Let's try and get one more verse in maybe before we got to go. We are his servants, verse 18, and we are his students, excuse me, we are his servants, verse 17, and we are his students, verse 18. Somebody stand up and read in your playground voice, verse 18. Okay, verse 18. Your soul is a dark place until the word of God shines into it. I'm just saying. I mean, it's not, don't take that personal. Well, take that personal because it's true of you, but... I don't mean it personal because it's true of all of us. Our soul is a dark place until the word of God shines in. Um, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says that God's own breath is in every word that he utters. Because that's what the word inspiration means. Uh, Inspiration means given by his breath. And, and we, we know from the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, that his breath is what brings life to our soul. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. So verse 18, open thou mine eyes. But then he goes on to say, do that so that I may behold. So this verse makes a connection between having sight and really seeing. Revelation is brought into view from a place it was concealed from. So all of us may have sight, but do you really see what God is doing? Do you really see what is happening? Somebody stand up and read Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10, Isaiah 28. I think, I think Christy should get in on this one. Huh. Now that is a much better summary of what you need to ha- keep in mind in order to really understand the Word of God. Throw away all of the other statements from the Greco-Roman-influenced evangelicals. Statements like, well, you know, the Word of God never, never means what it never meant. Whatever that means. At, at, you know, throw that out. How, why don't we go with this? Why don't you cross-reference things? Why don't you tie things together? Why don't you read the Bible enough? Why don't you get in the Word of God enough and enough of the Word of God in you on a daily basis that you begin to tie things together and a little here from a little there and line upon line and precept upon precept because the truth that you need was there to be seen all the time. I mean, I don't think I'm calling you lazy, but you are lazy. I'm just saying. I mean, don't take it personal, but take it personal because you are lazy, but we're all lazy. And particularly in this area, because the world doesn't help you, the flesh does not help you, and the devil does not help you get into the Word of God. And that is a step that you have to take by your will. So you got to exercise, that is an area where you got to exercise your will 
to have the faith to believe what God says. So you better get into what God said. The truth is there to be seen all the time. God, but God has taken his truth and he's divided it up in verbal word packages and then he has distributed it in various places, hiding it in various places in the Bible. You say, well, why did God do it that way? Why didn't God give me a systematic theology? I mean, why didn't he just do a chapter on, you know, you know one chapter that lines everything out about resurrection and one chapter it lines everything out about the Trinity and, you know, one chapter it lines out. You I mean, God didn't approach it that way because the person who does not sincerely seek him won't take the time and won't expend the effort to do the search. So he weeds out all of those who do not really believe his word is what he says it is because they automatically won't do it. So those who are not honest enough, those who are not humble enough to take the time to cross-reference then they never find the truth, even though it is there all the time. Verse 18, open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I mean, how inadequate are the best human philosophies? How insufficient are the noblest human religions? wondrous things. See there when, it's, when he says that I may behold wondrous things, that means things that will amaze you. What are they? Well, you, you can see uh, ten, ten, 10 wondrous things uh, on the back of your handout. And all I did was do a word study and try and go through and isolate, well, what, what are these amazing, these things that should amaze us? So we first need to read, but according to verse 18, we then need opened eyes in order to understand what we read. So if you have a King James center column reference Bible, then there is a letter or number that will direct you to the center column, where in the margin, the James gang lets you know that the Hebrew literally says, Reveal my eyes. Unveil my eyes. So you are able to remove the veil by reading. Just like when people who are lost and their eyes are darkened and they can't see and they're blind to the gospel. When we take the word of God, when we take our testimony and and combine that with the terms of the gospel from, from the Bible, we show them in the word of God, that is what reveals their eyes. That is what unveils their eyes. We, uh, we unveil the veil by reading, and then the Holy Spirit infuses the light because the word of God carries the life within it. Now, here it is in the New Testament, in kind of an amplified translation of David's verse, Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 19. I'm going to end with this, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and read it so we can get out on time. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. That is the exploded diagram. That's the amplified version of, of uh, Psalm 119, verse 18. There are wondrous things in God's word, but your eyes have to be open to Sam. And you only get your eyes open by reading God's word. And you've got to sit at Jesus' feet, the same place where Mary sat, with, with everything that that implies. So our time is up. I thank you for yours. Go ahead and stand. If you have somebody next to you, bump elbows. And let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer as we leave. Father, we thank you tonight, Lord. How clear, how plain. When we just give attention to the reading of your word and to the things that it says and exactly the words and the order that they are and everything that they mean. And Lord, it's all there for a reason. Lord, we, we trust in what you've given us. <coughs> we look to you tonight for the, the power that it brings. Lord, we, we know the power is there. Father, we pray you'd find us worthy to exercise it because we are strangers and pilgrims on this planet. Our citizenship is above, not here. And Lord, you've given us a message that we can take to others so that their eyes are revealed, their eyes are unveiled, their eyes are opened to the purpose you have for them in eternity. Lord, let us be drawing more people into it. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.